yo, 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 what's going on, guys? It's Dugas. You are listening to Life with Dugas, episode number four. And this is all about my childhood and growing up and getting into what I'm into now because a lot of people don't know about my past and I do want to talk about it a little bit. So it all started in Brighton, Massachusetts. That's where I was born. I believe it's St. Elizabeth, if I'm correct. I really don't even know the own hospital I was born in. It's kind of fucking stupid. But Yes, that is where I was born. Um, yeah, so that's it. All right, guys, take care. <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so after that, I went to Stowe, um, spent a little bit of time there, and then I spent most of my childhood in Maynard, Massachusetts. So in Maynard, that's where it all began. I met a lot of people. I met a lot of enemies. Um, I decided my future, and it, it's such a small town where everybody knows everyone. Uh, it's like three or four square miles, if I'm correct. It's a super small town. It could be more than that. I could just be completely lying, but it's a very small town. So I met uh, Ryan, Danny, Sean, a lot of those people when I were really young, when I was really young. Um, we, we played manhunt a lot. We did a lot of those kid things. You know, We did stupid stuff. We rode our bikes in the middle of the road. We got yelled at. Police told us we couldn't do this and that. And, and of course, like the kids we were, we did it anyways. Um, but I, I lived a normal childhood life. You know, everyone says, oh, you're a rapper. You must have been from the slums. No, I really wasn't. I had a really good life. I had, you know, my mom and dad were divorced. That's the only bad side. But I was raised by a great stepdad and a great father and a great mother. And, you know, it's two separate houses. It was always, it was tough, but I got through it. You know, I was really young when it happened, so I didn't have to go through anything traumatic. Um, I would see my dad every weekend. I would spend my entire week at school with my mom and my stepdad, and to this day, I'm still I'm still living with my stepdad. You know, he's he's an awesome guy. He's on his own now. Um, my parents are divorced, so I'll get more into that eventually. But I, I really want to start with my uh, my childhood friends. You know, Danny Cassidy, Ryan Maserell, Sean Sullivan. Those three people are like the key points in my life, and three people that I still have contact with and. I probably will never lose contact with. So Ryan actually does a lot with me still. Um, he, he DJs with me. Um, if I'm going to do a big show, he'll, he'll be security for me. He's a big dude. He's like 6'1", you know, hefty dude. He'll, he'll lay you out if he wants to. Um, Danny, Danny has a couple kids now, but he's got his own house, and I'm really proud of him for that. Um, Danny was the enforcer when we were younger. So if someone was getting picked on, you know, it was like, hey, Danny, you know, this dude's talking shit. Next thing you know, Danny's coming out of nowhere going, we're fighting. And the person would be like, no, we're not. And Danny would just hit him. You know, he wasn't a bully. He would, he would strictly stick up for his friends. You know, he never went off just looking for a fight for no reason because that's just not who Danny is. You know, he was always, always protecting his friends. And to me, that was so cool, man. I, I'm glad I was able to have that, you know, growing up because I was, I looked like a little scrawny Harry Potter growing up. I had a bowl cut. My mom literally put a bowl over my head. She cut around it. She put me in these stupid-ass-looking pants, you know, these knockoff Walmart shoes. And hey, I, Walmart shoes ain't bad nowadays, but back then, they were pretty bad. Um, I just, I was the most humiliating-looking kid, and I can understand why, growing up, no girl wanted to speak to me, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into the whole puberty thing later, but man, if it wasn't for Danny, I would get my ass kicked on a daily. Um, and then Ryan... Ryan um, lived up the street from me, literally probably seven houses down um, and the next street over. But it, it really wasn't that far. Um, 
I was probably with them every single day. You know, we we always had backyard wrestling matches. We did a lot of fun stuff as kids. Ryan was more the type that wasn't allowed to go out as much. Um, his parents were a little stricter than everyone else's, which is fine. Um, it, you know, he is who he is today because of it. Um, he's probably the smartest one out of the group. He's got his head on his shoulders way better than any of us um, to this day. And, you know, if it wasn't for his family, he probably wouldn't be who he is today. So shout out to Ryan. Shout out to his family. I love them, man. They're my best friends. And Sean Sullivan. Sean Sullivan was my first ever friend that I can remember. He was my neighbor when I moved. Um, I've probably known him since I was five years old. Uh, His family is really close to mine. Uh, His father actually listens to my podcast, listens to my music. He's super supportive. And it's a family that I, I... I'm so grateful for, you know, they're like a second family to me. If something ever happened to my family, I know for a fact they would, they would be there like they were mine. Um, so Sean, Bob and the entire family, I love y'all. If you hear this, thank you for always being there for me. Thank you for being so supportive and I I can't thank you enough, but, um, let's get into, um, my favorite shows growing up. Uh, that was some. That was something somebody asked me was, what kind of shows did you watch? I watched a lot of Nickelodeon um, and a lot of Disney, like a typical kid. But I, I used to like binge watch, like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Keenan and Cal. Those were I love comedies. And my mom always told me, one day you're gonna be a comedian, or one day you're gonna be a musician, because I was always just so into all that. You know, I wasn't into like the you know, fighting shows and all that stuff. I was just so into comedy and, and being like that. Like Will Smith is to me is a God, like no one is better than Will Smith. And people try to argue with me about it, but it's not happening. Will Smith is hands down a God, you know, he's hilarious. He's great at what he does. And I can't wait to see more of his work. Um, but yeah, so comedy was always my go-to, uh, favorite food, my favorite foods growing up. I honestly could not tell you what my favorite foods were. I I feel like I ate like I was a super picky kid, probably just chicken tenders, mac and cheese, pasta, stuff like that, like a basic kid. Um, favorite sports. My favorite sports growing up was definitely baseball. I did not get into any other sport until I was older. Baseball was my go-to. My aunt is a diehard Red Sox fan. Like There is nobody else I know that is a bigger fan than she is. She used to have a license plate that said Nomar. She had a red car. She has posters all over her house. Just diehard Red Sox. Like she, she would go into Fenway Park and everyone would know her. And I looked at her like, wow, she is like the Fenway Park goddess. <laughs> so one day when I was super young, Manny, um, this was when Manny was playing, Manny Ramirez. And we, his wife sang the national anthem. And... I remember getting a hot dog with my aunt and I was like, hey, isn't that Manny's wife? Mind you, I was probably like eight or nine years old. So I just went right up to her and I said, hey, can I meet Manny? And my aunt goes, you can't say that. And she goes, oh, you're so cute. She goes, meet here after the game. And I looked at my aunt and she was like, okay. And my aunt was like, no way. So we get back to our seats. It was like the ninth inning. There was like one out. And my aunt was like, all right they're winning this game. It was like a blowout game. So we went down to the same spot. I saw her and she was standing right there and we went up to her and she said, Hey, come with me. I'm going to keep this real quiet, but you guys come with me. So we followed her and she brought us through these back doors. And as we get into those doors, the game is ending and all the players are coming in. Come to find out we're walking through the dugout in the back ends of it. So now, now 
Manny is right in front of me, as well as like Derek Lowe, Pedro Martinez, you know, all these big players that I remember growing up. It was, it was so cool. But Manny went up to me, shook my hand, you know, gave me a high five, signed a couple baseballs. We took pictures. It was, it was a memory that I'll never, ever forget. All because I just had confidence to just go up, talk to Manny's wife and be like, hey, can I meet Manny? And I'll never forget this. My aunt literally looked at me and said, you're going to have so much confidence in life. You're never going to have to worry because you have such a bright head on your shoulders. And ever since then, every time I do something, I think of that moment where if I didn't go up to Manny because I was too scared, you know, what else am I going to be too scared to do? So ever since then, I've just had confidence. You know, if you see an opportunity and you believe in it, just go for it. The most that's going to happen, they're going to say no. They're not, you can't get in trouble for asking a simple question. It is what it is, you know. And also, I was super young and I'm shocked that she, she did it. But there was another time where we went to a Red Sox game, and it was Derek Lowe's no-hitter. Now, before the game, we were driving in, and we saw Derek running down the street. He was just doing, like, a workout before he started his game. And my aunt goes, Derek, have a good game tonight. You know, he waved, said thanks, ends up having a no-hitter that night. For those who don't know what a no-hitter is, that's when he allows zero hits the entire game. He pitches from first inning to last inning, no hits. So he had a no-hitter. And then after that, I got on the radio station. I was on WEEI. This is when the um, station was right inside of Fenway Park. I had an interview with them. They talked to me about everything. And it was, you know, I have so many cool memories with my aunt. But I'm not going to keep going on about it. My aunt's super cool. I love my aunt to death. Um, If you listen to this, thank you so much for all those memories that that you've given me growing up. And you're awesome. And I can't thank the Dugas family enough for all the support that you guys given me. all right, now somebody asked me, as I'm looking at my phone, I'm kind of reading questions. Somebody asked me what it was like being bullied because I do talk about being bullied a lot, but I never really go into details about it. So being bullied when, bullied when I was younger, it, it was really tough. Um, I never showed how tough it was, but it, it definitely was a tough time in my life. So like I said, I was one ugly son of a bitch when I was younger, so I obviously got picked on a lot for it. Now, not only that, I was a shitty rapper. I, I, I probably been rapping since I was 10 years old. You know, when you're a 10 year old rapping, it's kind of just joking around like, hey, listen to this. Look at my guy. I got my car. I'm going far. Uh. <laughs> but it was just little things like that where I feel like I wanted to be a superstar. And to me, I was a superstar. But to everyone else, I was a fucking idiot. So what I did is I dropped some stupid album and I I thought I was a all-star and everyone made fun of me and that's where it really began. I kind of opened the doors for everyone. It was like a trend for people to hate me. So everyone hated me so much that I ended up moving um, in with my father about an hour away. And when I got there, everyone hated me there too because it was a very preppy school and I dressed in a white t-shirt, baggy shorts, you know, your typical, I want to be a rapper, white boy look. And nobody liked me there. So, you know, there was no running away from it. So, as I got older, I hit puberty. Um, I feel like puberty did me well. The only thing it didn't do was give me height. I'm still five foot fucking three and it sucks. But, hey, I got to live with it. That's just what it is. I got bullied for it. Here I am. Um, it sucked being bullied, um, but it brought me to be a better person. Um, 
even my own teachers kind of bullied me and brought me down. You know, they didn't specifically make fun of me, but they definitely told me that I would make it nowhere. Um, and when somebody with authority that high as a child says something like that, it's, it's, it's painful, you know? Um, the only ones who didn't were my counselors. I'll never forget her, Miss Fuchs. If you guys are from Maynard, you know who Miss Fuchs is. Miss Fuchs was probably the, the sweetest and nicest lady ever. I keep going back and forth in age, so if you guys are getting lost, I'm so sorry. I'm just kind of bouncing left and right in my head, thinking about all the times I was bullied and when I wasn't bullied. But let me just get to the end of it. When I was done being bullied was when I've become successful. And becoming successful doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you've accomplished what you want and there's so much more to accomplish. Um, I finally went on tour as a DJ. I got to tour the country. I went through US, I went through Canada three different times. I worked with Montana 300. I worked with Sammy Adams, Tech Nine, Logic. You know, I, I, and it was public. You know, once I did all that, it was public and everyone wanted to hang out with me. Everyone believed in me and nobody was making fun of me. Why? Because of what I was doing. You know, I told them that I'm going to do this one day and I'm not going to stop until I do it. And when I finally did it, you know, everyone wanted to be my friend. But before I did it, no one believed in me. And that's exactly how life will work. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, there will be people telling you that you cannot do something. There will be people bringing you down constantly. And when you finally reach that point, that's when they want to come back into your life. Now, that's why I want to bring back those three friends, Sean, Danny, and Ryan. Those three people, no matter what point I was at, my lowest point or my highest point, they supported me. They said, I know you're going to make it one day. Danny even still messages me randomly. Hey, bro, I know you're making it. Just don't forget about me. I don't want anything. I just want you to remember me. I always tell Danny, if, I'm, if I become a millionaire, bro, I'm buying you a house. I'm buying you a car. He goes, nah, man, I just want your friendship. I love you, brother. I'm like, man, that's how I know you're legit. You know, that's how I know those people are legit. Now, Ryan, Ryan would be like, hey, I'll take the house. Still love you, but I'll take the house. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just playing, Ryan. I, I love you, man. I love all my friends. You know, Sean's never asked me for anything. Ryan's never asked me for anything. Danny's never asked for me, asked me for anything. I can't even talk. Um, th that right there is true friendship. And if you have that in your life, don't let that go. You know, no matter what kind of anger you have built in because you guys get into an argument one day, just fix it. You know, you don't want 20 plus years of trust and happiness to just disappear over one fight. I've seen it happen. It's the worst. Just don't let it happen. Now, we are going to talk about my kids, my marriage, and everything that happened in between that. That point in my life was the most drastic part, the happiest part, the saddest part. Every emotion you can think was in that time frame. Um, I met my kid's mother, Rebecca, when I, I don't even remember how old I was, 17, 18, um, maybe even a little bit older, but we had our son pretty fast, uh, probably six months in, she got pregnant, um, and it, it all happened so quick, I didn't think it would happen so quick, obviously, no one expects that, but we we started a life together um we were just two kids that were everywhere in our own heads to let's make this happen and we had our son and things started going downhill um 
I'm not going to say things about her, just like um, she wouldn't say things about me because it's pretty private. I'm going to keep that private. But we were very toxic for each other. We just, we weren't meant to be after we spent more time together. And that's why they say really figure out who you're going to be with before you have kids. Because, you know, it could take six months, a year, or more. But I honestly believe it. you should wait a couple years before you have kids or settle down with that person because you really want to get to know who they are. You really want to make sure that you're compatible with each other because we just weren't compatible with each, with each other. She's a great person. She's an awesome mother. I'll never take that away from her, um, but we just weren't compatible. Um, so what happened was is after Jackson was born, um, we moved to Alabama. And while we were in Alabama, she got pregnant again um, with my daughter Mia. So we moved from Alabama back home to Massachusetts because – we knew we were going to want to be with family. And one day, me and my mom got into a really big argument, and she started swinging on me. Rebecca didn't like that. So Rebecca grabbed her, pulled her off me, and my mom started swinging on Rebecca. Now, I was watching it happen. Rebecca's pregnant. My mom doesn't know this yet. She went to go kick Rebecca right in the stomach, and I did something that I've never done in my entire life, and that's put my hands on a woman. I grabbed her and I slammed her on the ground and I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, she's pregnant. And that's kind of where my whole life went downhill. Um, I got obviously kicked out. Uh, we ended up in a homeless shelter um, where Rebecca went most of the time. I made, I kind of like, I didn't, I don't want to say I made a friendship with my mom again. We kind of just made peace. I mean, family's family. But she apologized. She cried in front of my kids. She felt so bad. Um, but I ended up moving back in with my parents, and I knew change needed to happen. So I needed to get my son and my wife out of the homeless shelter because we got married shortly after that, and I went into the military. And I went in there. I did not want to be there. <laughs> not at all. I, I was not a fan of somebody kissing somebody's ass for the rest of their career. In my eyes, the military, that's what it is. It's just ass kissing your whole career. I salute those who are in the military. I have nothing but respect for you, but me personally, I just, I'm not meant for it. Um, so I went February 4th and my daughter was born on February 13th. Um, so I missed my daughter's birth. Shortly after she was born, I got a Red Cross message while I was in basic training and they said that your daughter might not make it through the night. Um, she had whooping cough. She had bronchitis. And my kid's mother was up there by herself. Um, she obviously had my family there and her family there to support her. But she was by herself basically watching our daughter die. Um, she had to be brought back to life multiple times. And I was stuck in the barracks with no communication to call her. Um, waiting for a message for somebody to call me and honestly just saying you know she didn't make it through the night um i'm getting emotional thinking about it sorry guys um but yeah she um a few days passed and i get a call saying that she's improving um she went from you know like 10 percent to 20 percent in survival rate and she she got all the way back up and she ended up making a healthy recovery. And the doctor was saying how lucky we are. Um, Rebecca told me everything of basically how lucky we got. 
Um, now, while I was there, stuff happened between her and I. Um, things didn't go well. Uh, I was getting certain letters that I wasn't liking. I'm, I'm just trying to word around this without actually saying it because I, I don't want to talk about certain stuff. Um, so I, I got discharged um, shortly before AIT um, because I just wasn't meant for the military. And I went home. And uh, Rebecca ended up getting out of the shelter she was in, and she got her own place um, in Dorchester. And while she was there, I was living with her for a bit. And then we just realized that it just this wasn't meant to be. Um, I moved out, went back to my mom's. Uh, she moved different places from Dorchester to Quincy and all around. Um, but I've always been there for my kids. Um, in the very beginning, it was tough. I definitely was not ready to be a father. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I wasn't there as much as I should have been. Um, but after the military, after we separated and realized and got a divorce, I realized that my life is changed. You know, I'm not the 18-year-old anymore. I'm a 22-year-old, 23-year-old that has two kids and they need their father. Um, so I just hammered down and became the dad that I am today and kind of want to have a mirror image of my dad. You know, my dad was always super supportive, but he always put his foot down when need to be. He always gave me lectures, you know, to this day, he still lectures me about certain things, but everything I learned in life was definitely from my dad. Now I didn't live with him, but everything I learned was definitely from my father. So the way I treat my kids is kind of how my dad treated me. Um, and it's just, you know, we kind of have the same life too. I have my kids Friday, Saturday nights, they go home Sunday. Um, it was a little different with my dad. My dad only had me on Saturdays, but you know, having my kids the way I do and, you know, having a friendship with Rebecca now and seven years down the road where everything has changed, you know, we still argue, you know, we're <clears throat> just my ex-wife, you know, we're going to argue here and there and it is what it is. But being a father is the best part of my life. You know, I've had my downs, I've had my ups, I've had my in-betweens, but the only thing that's never changed is every time I talk to my kids, I'm in the happiest mood ever the absolute happiest because they always smile. They look at me like I'm a hero and I look at them like they're my hero. You know, they saved me. You know, I may have brought them into this life, but they're, they're keeping me in this life. And to me, that's, that's something I'll always be grateful for. I can't wait for them to get older and they can understand more when I talk about the past and, you know, they understand it and they can just tell me how much they love me and how much they love being around me. And man, it's just something I'll, I'll always look forward to and that's that's my kids that's my uh, ex-wife that's the whole situation now I'm gonna get into um, DJing um, what it's like DJing because a lot of people asking me what it's what it's like so I started out DJing because my dad was DJ um, he did weddings he did parties he never really like toured or did anything like that he was more of just like a local DJ um, when I was younger he gave me an option of all his DJ equipment or a hundred dollars what do you guys think I picked? A hundred dollars. Because his equipment is a lot older. Um, you know, he had CDs and super old, um, like, ampl amplifier and speakers. But I, I learned everything about crossfading and mixing and all that. And I got all my own equipment, um, turntables, MacBook, et cetera, et cetera. And I had my first show 
um, with Rich Collier, which is Keynote Company. And I was just, I, w- I was in my zone. You know, I was never nervous. I always had a good time. And I kind of just got into a character where when I'm on stage, people will talk about me as the craziest DJ, like the best time. And, you know, I'll be drunk as hell on stage. I'll have a great time. I'll bring people on stage. I'll stage dive. I'll pour alcohol off stage. It's it's like, it, it's more than just a character that I started with. It's kind of who I am now. I, I formed into that DJ as the wild guy. And I love it. Um, every time, you know, someone books me, they're like, hey, I want you to be like you did at the last show. You know, I want you to be crazy because people love that. And I'm like, I got you. Let's do it. Um, I never had expensive rates. You know, I've never sold out where... I'm like, oh, yeah, my rates are doubled now because uh, people fucking love me. Nah, man, that ain't who I am. I love doing what I'm doing, and I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> um, so I ended up landing my first tour with the Showcase Tour. Um, thanks to Rich, there was like 800 submissions, and I I was the one that got picked. So I flew to – um no, actually, on the first tour, we all drove um, from Boston to L.A. Um, we did 13 shows. And then the second tour, I flew to L.A. Um, so we started in, I believe we drove from L.A. to Arizona. We had a 12-passenger van. We took out two rows of seats, kind of made like a, a bed. And there was only three of us. I was the DJ. There was a tour manager, Dan. And then we had uh, Dre, the photographer. Dre is super cool. Um, we did 30 shows across the U.S. and Canada. It was the best time of my life. Um, I could talk about the tour for hours but i'm not going to get into all the shows right now that'll be for a different episode i actually have that all planned out where i'm gonna i'm gonna list off every state on a piece of paper and i'm gonna go through each show so you guys can hear what it was like in those areas and the kind of people and whatnot so after the tour i came back and everything got bigger um i started doing only bigger shows um montana 300 Tech Nine in front of 2,400 people. Sammy Adams, I did uh, a couple shows with him in New Jersey and Boston. There was over 2,000 people in each venue. Um, it, it Everything has gotten bigger and bigger. And I believe a big reason for it is because of TikTok as well. Um, I got pretty big off TikTok at the same time as all the DJing. So add it all together and it was just kind of like an explosion of fucking success in my eyes i'm not making millions i'm not known worldwide but locally if you say yo do you know dugas that dj most people will be like yeah he's cool he's cool ain't nobody got problems with me you know i like when i was younger like i was saying i was bullied by everybody now it's like everyone fucks with me you know they don't they don't have problems with me anymore and to me that's that's awesome yeah, you know, I, I hate having enemies. I used to love having enemies. I don't fucking know why. I used to love it. Now I'm just, it's not worth the drama. It's not worth the time. Um, I'm just enjoying life the best I can. I got this whole studio now that I'm building with Ashley. Um, I got a photography studio. I got the recording studio. I got this whole podcast set up. Um, everything that I was dreaming for is now right in front of me. I could say I did it. I could say I got it. I could say I worked hard to get here. And I couldn't be happier. It is what it is, you know? I did everything I I wanted to do. And here we are right now at the end of this broadcast. And going through my whole life, living it again in my own head, um, out loud, especially on a microphone so you guys can hear it, has been 
quite a relief, honestly. Like, you know, a lot of people are now going to know about my life that I never really talked about to anyone. Um, the only people who really know about it are close people and family, and now everyone knows. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to learn my life on episode four of Life with Dugas. And on the next episode, we're going to go through my entire tour. So catch me next week on Life with Dugas. I love y'all. Peace. Make sure you guys are following me up on Instagram, TikTok, at Official Dugas. Thank you for listening to Life with Dugas. I love y'all, man. Peace.